Don't forget, you can see images of some of the places and things talked about in this episode on our YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to this podcast and donate to us if you like what we do via our Buy Me a Coffee page. Prague was just named the most beautiful city in the world by Time Out magazine, and we make it high up on lots of other lists as well. Let's just face it, Prague is super, and this episode will look at some superlatives in this superb city in the center of Europe. This time around, we're going to look at some of the longest things in town, and the shortest, and some of the history of those things as well. Call it the long and short of Prague. A city is much more than just a collection of buildings. It's a location, it's a history, it's a culture, it's ideas and ideals, and a city is also, most importantly, the people in it. This is Prague Times, the podcast that takes a look at the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. With more than a thousand years of history, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the past of Prague, but we'll also talk about the city as it is today, future plans for the city, and much more. It's Prague then, Prague now, and Prague later. And this is Prague Times. As mentioned before, Time Out recently said Prague is the most beautiful city in the world. They also gave us second best for relaxation and number seven for best cities in the world overall. Money.co.uk named Prague the second best city for beer drinkers. Number one this year was Asheville, North Carolina, because they have more breweries. ABCflora.com ranks us at number one for which cities have the best parks. And the European Forest Institute named Prague Forest City of the Year for 2021, though that was partly because the annual conference is happening here right now. Prague is the third richest region in the EU in terms of PPS, that's Purchasing Power Standards, and the Twinner Honest Cities Index says we are the 25th most honest city in the world out of a pool of 350 examined. And the list of lists goes on and on. By and large, Czechs are a pretty modest bunch and are not accustomed to thinking about anything they have in terms of being the best, or even good, to judge by pub conversations I have. For example, many of the locals express disbelief when told that Prague Castle is the largest ancient castle complex in the world. It's even in the Guinness Book of World Records. A typical response to that is, well, that book must have made a mistake. So we're going to look at some superlatives here in the city of 100 spires at a more modest scale. Like, what are some of the longest things here in town, and the shortest? Let's talk bridges. The longest bridge is the Negreli Viaduct, connecting Karlin in Prague 8 with Holoshevica in Prague 7 across the river, across Stavnica Island. At 1,110 meters long, that's 3,641 feet, it is the longest rail bridge north of the Alps and was the longest of its kind anywhere in Europe until 1910. It's still the longest railway bridge in the Czech Republic and third longest overall bridge. Finished in 1850 by Tyrolean civil engineer Alois Negrelli, who was born Luigi, it is the second oldest remaining bridge in Prague. Negrelli would later go on to helm the building of the Suez Canal. This bridge has 87 stone arches, eight of which are actually in the river. 
The whole thing is made of granite from the old Schwarzenberg Quarry, 85 kilometers southwest of Prague, which was flooded and turned into the Orlik Reservoir, the largest hydroelectric dam in the country. And the Zdyakov Bridge, which crosses it, was the longest arch bridge in the country and the longest supported arch bridge in the world back in 1967 when it was built and is today still the 37th longest span in the world. Over 300 men from many different countries helped build the viaduct here in Prague, and its construction was the first time steam-lifting machines were used on a large-scale project. The viaduct was deemed a cultural monument in 1964 and has recently undergone extensive and expensive renovations. The best part of that was an ambitious plan to turn the archways over on the Carleen side into a long gallery of fun. This one would be a cafe, that one a food stall, this one a small cinema with outdoor seating, that one a tiny live performance stage, this one an art gallery, and so on. It would have transformed that whole area where Caroline meets Florence, and it was slated to open in the summer of 2020. But COVID lockdown delayed those plans and may even have scuttled them entirely. Only time will tell, but I sure hope that project still goes through because it would be awesome. The longest car bridge in Prague is 485 meters long, or 1,591 feet. The Nuselski Most, or Nusla Bridge, which goes over the Nusla Valley and connects Pankratz and the area around the Congress Center with Vinohrady. Eventually, a tunnel for the metro, Line C, the red line, would become attached to this bridge. This is also the highest bridge in Prague. Completed in 1973, it became a favorite place for depressed people to jump off, earning it the nickname of the Suicide Bridge. Residents down in the valley frequently complained about, well, bodies plummeting the 42 and a half meters or 139 feet onto their streets and rooftops and into their yards and parks. In 1990, a net was hung from the bridge to try and catch the despondent, but with not much effect. In 1997, the railing height was raised from 1 meter to 2.7 meters. That's almost 9 feet. In 2007, the barriers got extensions that curve inward, and that seems to have finally stopped the suicides. It's estimated that somewhere between 200 and 300 people jumped to their deaths from this bridge between 1973 and 2007. That's roughly 7 a month, give or take. For people on foot, the longest pedestrian-only bridge in Prague is the Charles Bridge at 516 meters long. That's 1,693 feet. It's also the oldest, however, and we will talk about that in detail in a future Superlatives episode. Those are the longest bridges, but the shortest bridge is only 169 meters long. This is Chekhov Most, which connects Holoshevitsa with Old Town and Yosefov, the Jewish Quarter. It's the shortest, but it's also the prettiest, with Art Nouveau sculptures along it. In fact, it's the only Art Nouveau bridge in the entire country. The bridge is named after Svatopluk Czech, a Czech writer who was instrumental in the Czech national revival in the 19th century. The Nazis changed the name when they were here to Mendel Bridge, after Gregor Mendel, a biologist and friar of German extraction who worked in Brno and is considered to be the father of genetics. But after the war, the Czechs changed the name back to Czechov Most. So there, Nazis. The longest escalator is the one at the Namisti Miru metro station on the Green Line or Line A. At 87.2 meters long, it's not just the longest in the country, it's the longest in the EU. It is 533 steps and takes 2 minutes and 19 seconds to ride its length one way if you don't walk. 
It should come as no surprise that the reason for this thing being so long is that this is also the deepest metro station in the city and in the EU. The platform is located at 53 meters below ground. This metro station was the first on the Line A to be opened on August 12, 1978, which originally ran from Leninova Station, today called Davidska, to here. The line was extended further to Zhelevskoho Station in 1980, and today Line A runs a total of 17 stations and is 17 kilometers long. The longest distance between two metro stations is between Nadraji Holoshevitsa and Koblisi stations on the C line or red line. That distance is 2.24 kilometers or 1.39 miles. Formerly known as Fuchikova station after journalist Julius Fuchik, a famous communist who led the anti-Nazi resistance and then was captured, tortured, and hanged to death by them in Berlin in 1943 at the age of 40. The now named Nadraji Holoshevitsa station or Holoshevitsa train station station was the terminus in this direction of the sea line from its opening in November of 1984 until June 2004 as a northern extension from Sokolovska station which is today called Florence. In 2004 the line was extended all the way to Latvi. As the train leaves Holoshevitsa train station to Koblisi, it goes north to cross under the river next to the kind of newish Troya bridge and then curves east. The trip takes three minutes. Interesting note, the Holoshevitsa train station is technically named the Franz Kafka train station. Wander around there and see if you can find the small sign that says this. It's surprisingly hard to find. The longest distance between two tram stops is on the 22 line, which is also one of the longest, if not the longest, tram route in Prague. Between the stop for the Maloshanska metro station and the Kralovsky Letohradek stop, which includes the snaking curves of Hotovka, passing the deer moat and going around Khotkovisari and then running along the backside of Prague Castle. The longest bus route is the 177, which goes 27.85 kilometers and takes an average of 75 minutes to complete one way. Of the three metro lines here in Prague, the longest one is the B line or yellow line, which is 26 kilometers long and has 24 stations. The shortest distance between two metro stations is on the C or red line between Museum at the top of Wenceslas Square and Hlavni Nadraji, the main train station. The distance between these two stops is only 425 meters. The longest tunnel in town is the Blanca Tunnel, which was finally completed in 2015 after eight years and numerous cost overruns and arguments. At 5.5 kilometers, 3.4 miles, it is the longest road tunnel in the country and the longest city tunnel in the entire EU. Technically, it's not one tunnel, but three interconnected tunnels, the Bubanecki, the Davidski, and the Brusnitski. It's part of the Miestski Okruh, or City Circle Plan, a series of highways that circle the city and tunnels to connect them, designed to get longer distance traffic off the overcrowded city streets of the center. The Blanca Tunnel was first planned out back in 1993, but institutional inertia delayed things until 2004 with an eye to opening in 2011. Estimated cost 21.2 billion crowns. 
But you know how these things go. Costs spiraled out of control and eventually reached 43 billion crowns, making it the most expensive project in Prague history. And that figure doesn't even include all the construction costs. Controversy and ineptitude dogged the whole thing from start to finish. Many thought it had been pushed through without proper eco-evaluation by the road lobby. Yes, there is a road lobby. And that, while it may have made sense back in the 90s when it was first planned, this was not the way for a forward-thinking 21st century city to proceed. And then there were the contracts. Never really a strong suit in this country, anyway. When the city claimed that there were contractual clauses that meant they didn't have to pay for certain things, Metroslav, the construction firm, stopped work until Prague ponied up the 2.1 billion crowns in fees. The company actually put up signs along Letna Park saying, we did the work, now you need to pay. A building permit from 2004 stipulated that a certain portion of work on the tunnel couldn't even begin until another section of the city circle up in the northeast was completed, and then that segment ran into its own set of troubles and work there stopped. Metroslav eventually continued working on the Blanca Tunnel when estimates for that other section said it wouldn't be done until the year 2028. The city, however, continually tried to withhold payments to Metroslav based on this contract stipulation. And then there are the holes. A sinkhole opened up in Stromovka Park one day, which the tunnel goes underneath. This caused alarm and delays and cost overruns. That got repaired, and then another one opened up, not far from the first one. Once that had been dealt with, a third hole opened up near the Ministry of Culture over by Prague Castle. Arguments as to who would pay the tens of millions of crowns in damage repair delayed the tunnel construction even further. Because of these and other issues that came up, the city tried to say that the previous city administration's signatures on the contracts did not, in fact, oblige them to honor the contract. After all, we're a different group of people. The anti-corruption police stepped in and told the city that, yes, actually, you do have to pay the monies owed. Despite everything, it finally opened, and it seems like Prague drivers like it. An estimated 88,000 vehicles use the four-lane tunnel every day, and initial studies suggest it has, in fact, alleviated traffic in the city center, which, after all, was its purpose. Prague's longest pedestrian tunnel is the Zizhkov Tunnel that runs downhill from tiny Tachovska Namiesti in Prague 3's Zizhkov district under Vitkov Hill to Karlin in Prague 8, or of course going uphill if you're heading the other direction. It was not officially named, however, until 2014. Apparently, the pencil pushers in the area just forgot to name the tunnel. For many years, people in Zizhkov called it the Karlin Tunnel, and people in Karlin called it the Zizhkov Tunnel, and nonconformists just called it the Vitkov Tunnel. Each neighborhood kind of thought of it as theirs, but the Prague 3 administration finally noticed the naming oversight and took the initiative to get it officially named Zizhkov Tunnel in 2014. That's a long time to go without a name since it was built in 1951 and opened in 53. It is 303 meters long, that's 994 feet, and it tilts downwards towards the river at an 8.1 degree angle. There once have been plans to put a tram through here. It is four and a half meters wide on average, so a tram would fit and also build a parallel tunnel for cars, but neither of those plans came to pass. They couldn't even be bothered to name it, let alone build more tunnels. In the Zhishkov Tunnel, one of the doors you can see as you walk past actually goes into a secret nuclear bunker with room for 1,250 people to survive for three days. After that, I guess you're on your own. 
There's also another door that leads to a room under Vitkov Hill that originally was designed to store dead bodies in case of an emergency, but is now a laboratory staffed by four scientists run by the Nuclear Physics Institute. In there is a small orbital electron accelerator called a microtron. This is a thing that measures radioactive isotopes and can be used in fields as varied as genealogy and medicine. The longest block building in Prague, built in 1975, is a panelak that runs along the north side of Zelenohorska in Bohunica, Prague 8, not far from the famous psychiatric hospital. The building is 300 meters long, that's three U.S. football fields, and has 18 entrances. Some sources say it's actually 330 meters long, others say 340. I don't know why people just don't go out and measure it. It's 12 floors tall and houses 1,000 people in 400 units. Inside, it boasts the longest interior corridor of any structure in the country, and it also has the longest heating and water distribution system of any structure in the country. Though, maintenance people say that by the time the water gets to the furthest flats out of the ends, it's cold. A panelak is a large-scale prefabricated residential building. They're called many different things in many different countries and languages, but here they're called panelaki. The first ones in Europe were actually built in the Netherlands just after World War I, and then in Germany in 1923, and then Paris 1939, and then elsewhere. It's thought that the first one showed up in Czechoslovakia in 1940 or so as part of an experiment by the Zlin-based shoe company Batya. Most of that city was being constructed according to modern urban planning ideas to support their massive shoe factory and today remains a treasure trove of functionalist architecture. This was mentioned in a previous episode about UNESCO sites. Early panelaki were really cheap and fast to put up, with walls often made of hardwood covered in either a thin rock-like slate or even sometimes just cardboard. After World War II, the communists took quite a shine to these structures. After all, everybody was guaranteed housing under their system. The first Pontiac started going up in Prague in 1952. The first housing estate in the city, that's what the British call them, this is a large area made entirely of these panel houses, in Czech called a Sidlistia, went up at Zelena Liška, or the Green Fox in Pankratz. The name for the area comes from an old 18th century coaching inn, which later got incorporated into an industrial building that became the Java Motorcycle Factory. There had already been some functionalist housing built in the area, so Panalax just seemed like a natural fit. That earlier housing from the 1930s ended up becoming a machine laundry and then a morgue for those who died during the Prague uprising against the occupying Nazis near the end of World War II, and sadly was then torn down in 2006. The oldest still surviving Panalak is also from the 50s, but in Petrini. Panalaki went up all over the country. After the Velvet Revolution, Václav Havel called them undignified rabbit pens, slated for liquidation. But with so many people living in them, today it's estimated as many as a third of all Czechs live in Panalaki, and about half of all apartments are in these buildings. And in Prague, it's thought about 20% of residents live in them. It's just not feasible to tear them down. Where would people go? So the Sidlistia have been getting facelifts with more modern amenities inside and nice colors and patterns on the outside. The new metropolitan plan for Prague focuses a lot of attention to these areas, which are often sort of around the outskirts of the city. There are big ideas refurbishing these areas, adding more leisure spaces, common use spaces, daycares, schools, and even offices. The idea seems to be to make each Sidlistia a sort of mini city unto itself. 
So many people live in them, there's really no stigma attached to being in a Pontiac. Flats here remain an affordable option for middle-class people, and even former Prime Minister Jan Fischer lives in one. No, they're not pretty, but they are interesting, and they do sometimes help create a sense of enforced community. Film director Vera Hitilova made the rather famous Panel Story in 1979, and the innovative Czech movie Kino Automat, also called Člověka jeho dům, or Man in His Home, which premiered at the 1967 World Expo in Montreal, and which is considered to be the first interactive movie ever, is also set mainly in a Panalak. It was interactive because at certain points in the movie, the audience was given a choice for things to go one way or another, and they would vote using devices that they had at their seats. Back in the late noughties, the Oxford English Dictionary was looking for a word to describe these specifically former communist-era blocks of flats and housing estates in Europe, and they finally settled on the Czech word panelok. So the Czech word panelok is now officially part of the English language. The longest square is, no surprise, Wenceslas Square. At 750 meters, it's the longest square in the country, though it's only 60 meters wide. That's 2,460 by 196 feet. It is not the biggest, however, by area. That is Karlovo Namiesti, which we will talk about in a future Superlatives episode. Designed by Holy Roman Emperor and King of Bohemia Charles IV, as was all of Novi Miesto, or Newtown, it originally was the horse market for Prague. In fact, up at the top of the square, where the neoclassical National Museum now sits, there used to be a large gate known as the Horse Gate. The whole thing was known as Konski Turk or Horse Market from its construction in the mid-1300s until 1848 when it was renamed Svatovatslavska Namjesti or St. Wenceslaus Square which then of course just got shortened to Vatslavska Namjesti. In fact most Praggers shorten it more calling it Vatslavak. Back in the 1920s, during the First Republic, hip young Praggers referred to it as Trafosh, or sometimes just Trafi, after Trafalgar Square in London. The ground there was all dirt till the late 1800s. In 1875, some trees were planted along the sides, but then 20 years later, those were torn out to make way for trams. In 1895, electric lights were installed on the square. This long but narrow square really feels more like a boulevard than a proper square, but its size and central location have made it the center of many events and traditions. Historian Dushan Tchestik said Wenceslas Square is a mythological central point for Czech history. The famous statue of St. Wenceslas on his horse, up by the museum, was originally in the middle of the square, then it was moved out to Vyshahrad, which is the other castle in town, in 1879, and the current one was commissioned in 1913. The statue is a favorite meeting place for Praggers, who often say, meet me at the horse, or even, meet me under the tail, meaning around the backside, under the horse's tail. Czech artist David Czerny made an upside-down version of the horse as political commentary, which is now in the nearby Lucerna Passage. Learn more about that horse and Czerny's sculpture in a past episode that takes a tour of Czerny's works here in the city. In June 1848, a large mass was held here, and afterwards the Prague Uprising kicked off, an attempt to throw off the Habsburg yoke. Dozens died, and the rebellion, however, was a failure. It was in Wenceslas Square that Alois Jurasek, on October 28, 1918, read out the declaration of the formation of a new independent country, Czechoslovakia. Under the Nazi occupation, the Nazis would use the square for huge rallies, often using large groups of schoolchildren to discourage violence from the populace. Pigs. 
1968, after the Soviet invasion ended the Prague Spring, history and political economics student Jan Pollock set himself on fire here in the square in protest. There's an unusual monument to him set into the paving stones up by the museum and a poem about him on the southeast side. During that 1968 invasion, Warsaw Pact tanks and machine guns fired at the museum thinking it was the Czechoslovak radio building. The holes left behind by the shells and bullets were still there when I first came here in 1993. In 1969, the Czechoslovak hockey team beat the USSR hockey team and 150,000 people gathered to celebrate and rub it in the Ruskies' faces. Unable to take a joke, the police cracked down. So, people vandalized the nearby Aeroflot building, which is the Russian airline, and then things got serious, with heads getting cracked and lots of arrests made. This event was used by the communists as a pretext for the so-called normalization period of the 70s, when basically progress of any sign ground to a halt. And so all during the 70s and 80s, Wenceslas Square, which had no advertising allowed under communism, so all those signs and neon and all that stuff, that wasn't there. It was a large but kind of dour place. Then, during the Velvet Revolution of 1989, the entire country went on strike and an estimated 100,000 people stood in this square, jingling their keys for three days. The communists then gave up. There used to be a tram running up and down Wenceslas Square, but the tracks were removed in 1980. The central strip where the tram ran now has flowers and shrubs, some of these in hexagonal pots that local wags nicknamed Strogal's Orchards. Lubomir Strogal was the communist agriculture minister at that time. The idea was that with these large planters in the way, people couldn't use the large open space for protests. However, there are plans to put a tram back in Wenceslas Square as part of a huge renovation and refurbishment project that is being discussed. We'll see when and if it actually happens. The northern part of the square has already been blocked off to cars, as happened back in 2012, and there's talk of turning the whole thing, or at least most of it, pedestrian only. There are two metro stations here, and all three of the current metro lines can be picked up here. Wenceslas Square is a bustling city center spot now. In fact, the busiest pedestrian traffic spot in the entire country. If there's a part of Prague that feels like city, this is it. Started in 1970 but finished in the 1980s, the longest street in Prague is Strakonitska, which emerges from the road spaghetti down by the Berendov Bridge on the Prague 5 side of the river and runs south for 15 and a half kilometers, nearly 10 miles, to the very edge of the city limits. At that point, it becomes the D4 highway. In fact, honestly, it's the highway for most of its run, even inside the city. So in many ways, it feels unfair to call it the longest street, since really, it's kind of a highway. Now you'd think Dloha Street, which means Long Street, would be the longest. Well, it was once, but you know, times change. It's only 520 meters long. Vinohradska is one of the longest in the city proper, running through four city districts. It starts at the National Museum at the top of Wenceslas Square in Prague 1, runs through part of Vinohrady in Prague 2, continues into Zizhkov in Prague 3, passing Namisti Yuzhihozi Podibrad, or JZP, as some of us foreigners call it, and then goes into Strashnitsa in Prague 10, turning into Chernokostoletska, just a little bit past the main cemeteries and crematoriums, and right at a park that used to be a former vineyard. 
The whole Vinohradska named part is four and a half kilometers long, 2.7 miles. Street actually used to be called Rzichanska because it kind of heads towards the village of Rzichani. And then the whole thing was renamed Chernokostelecka in 1873. But then just 11 years later, the part that's now Vinohradska was renamed Jungmanova, then Fokova after World War I. Then the Nazis renamed it Shverenova. And then it went back to Fokhova for a year, but then the communists renamed it Stalinova. In the post-Stalin rehabilitation period, that name was replaced by the one it has today, Vinohradska, in 1962. The trams that run down Vinohradska and then turn left to go behind the museum will soon continue straight ahead and then hang a right into Vrchlitska Hosadi, nicknamed by the locals Sherwood Forest, and stop right in front of the main train station's main entrance. The shortest street is Borshov in the old town, only 40 meters long. It goes off Karolina Svietle, right next to the Hemingway bar, heading into the block but then dead-ending before it gets to the next street. Interestingly, some local sources say Borshov is not a street at all, since it doesn't connect to anything, but is actually a very unusual square. Others say it is an enclosed courtyard. It's certainly old, first mentioned in records back in 1323. Today, the famous vegetarian restaurant Lekahlava, or Clearhead, is located here in a house at number two that was built in 1410. So if you want to be stubborn and say a street must connect at both ends, then you need to go to Malastrana. About 150 meters from the Charles Bridge, off of Uluzitskohosamanaja, near where it meets Tsilhelna, which then goes down to the Franz Kafka Museum and David Czerny's Pissing Men Kinetic Sculpture, there's a tiny alley only 32 feet long, 9.7 meters. It's called the narrowest street in Prague because, in addition to being the shortest, it is the narrowest, only 18 inches across, that's 48 centimeters. In fact, it's the narrowest street in all of Central Europe. It's so narrow that people can only go up or down, because it's really just stairs, single file. So, there's a traffic light. It actually does officially have a name, Vinarna Chertovka, after a wine bar nearby. This has led some local wits to nickname it the Drunk Street, because people tend to stagger while walking up and down its uneven steps, much in the same way a drunk person would walk on level ground. This is actually the last of what is known as a sotka in Czech, a narrow gap between buildings. In most places, these were designed to leave a bit of space between buildings so that if one caught fire, the fire hopefully wouldn't spread to the next one. But the gaps were too narrow to be effective and usually didn't work. However, this sotka was part of a plan of intentionally placed ones here in Malastrana as fire alleys, passageways that led down to the river so people could fetch water if, in fact, a fire broke out. These were constructed after a series of terrible fires destroyed much of the area, notably the one in 1541 which killed 50 people and pretty much wiped out Malastrana. The whole district was then rebuilt in the Renaissance style that is so prevalent today. Well, the fire alley certainly did their job because ever since then, there have been no more fires. And most of these narrow passages were filled in, except for this one, which runs down to the mouth of Chertovka, or the Devil's Canal, which separates Kampa Island from the main shore. Down there at the riverside, there's the Chertovka restaurant. 
Legend has it that a washerwoman once lived in this building who was famous for having a very volatile temper, yelling at people all day long for the smallest infractions. Locals nicknamed her Chertovka, or Devil Woman, and she was proud to bear the name. The house she lived in would eventually be renamed At the Seven Devils and the canal named after her, Chertovka. The owner of the restaurant there, who does not like people popping down to see the view and take pictures without buying something, likes to tell the story of a fat lady, a German tourist who got stuck in the narrow passageway for two hours as she was toddling down to go have lunch at the restaurant, until one local had the thought to grease her with butter to free her. They told her, though, don't eat it. It worked, and she stomped off in a huff. This story, which he has personally told me twice, is almost certainly not true, but reinforces two major stereotypes. Germans are big, fat, dum-dums, and Czechs are very clever. Again, though, it's not really a street since it dead ends into where the river and the canal meet and the end is blocked off by a restaurant. So... Let's go 250 meters south to Kampa Island, where we will find Yujiho Chervenaho. It is only 27 meters long, but it is in fact a street with ingress and egress at both sides. Named after former lawyer turned writer, composer, and cabaret artist Yirji Cherveni, or George Red, who founded the famous Cherevena Sedma, or Red Seven Cabaret, in 1909 on Hibunska Street off of Namisi Republiki, where the Central Hotel now is. This narrow alley, it's narrow but two people could pass, runs from Nakampia, which means on Kampa, which is sort of the main drag on the island, to Hroznova, or Grape Street. Horoznova used to be the main drag and, in fact, was called Nakampia until it was renamed in 1870 after a famous house here, Uzlataho Roznu, or At the Golden Grapes, a Renaissance house that had Baroque extensions added in 1853. Yurji Cherovny once wrote a song called My Street in which he specifically asks that this short, unnamed alley one day be named after him. He said it was short and unadorned, like his pension. His daughter, famous opera singer Sonia Cherovina, who is still alive at 95 years of age and, yes, still performs, managed to finally convince the city to rename it after her father in 2001. So even though it's little more than an alley, you could argue that this is the shortest street in Prague. And now a section from the Czech National Anthem. You'll find out why in a few moments. Czechs sure do love what they call the nature, so we'll end with some waterways that flow through the city. We all know about the river, the Voltava, or Moldau in German, which is the longest in the Czech Republic, 430 kilometers inside the country, though the Laba, or Elba, is overall a longer river flowing into Germany. But there are a number of famous streams here as well. The longest stream in Prague is the Rokitka, which is 35.2 kilometers long, 31.5 of which are in the city limits. 
It originates at a spring in the village of Tahovets, about 16 kilometers southeast of Prague, and flows northwest into the city through the Rokitka Natural Preserve, out in Prague 22 to the east, meanders into the Dolny Pochernice Chateau Park, creating a number of ponds along the way. It forms the Kiski Pond in Prague 14-9, turns west, cuts north, forming another pond, Hojeshi Pond, flows west again past the Sparta Rugby Club in the lovely Povedniak Park, which has a very nice lookout deck and a restaurant, and then finally joins up with the Voltava at Tomerio Vosadi, a park in Lieben in Prague 8. Perhaps even more famous, though a bit smaller, is Botich at 34.5 kilometers long with 21 of those kilometers in Prague proper. It is the water effervescent through the meadows mentioned in the Czech national anthem, specifically referring to the part where it flows in the Nusla Valley under the old suicide bridge. It's also included in many, many other songs. Over the years, its name, which means swelling, a reference to its frequent flooding, has apparently been pronounced both botich, with an I, and botich, with a Y, which in modern Czech sounds almost exactly the same, but apparently native speakers can hear a difference. I just know that I can't. However you say it, Botich is home to trout, eel, carp, pike, and lots of other fish, as well as green and fire-bellied toads. Its source is near the village of Chenyatitsa in the northern bit of the Uyezdets forest, though its spring was actually moved in the 1950s to a different part of the forest. It flows north through the lovely Pruhonitsa Park area mentioned in a previous episode, into the nature park Bocic Milichov, through the park at Hostivaj, up into Vršovica in Prague 10, going right past Havlicskovi Sadi, into Park Folimanka in Prague 2's Vinohrady, under the Nusla Bridge, the Suicide Bridge, and then empties into the Voltava right at Naplavka by the Iron Rail Bridge, not far from Vishahrad. As the country emerged from communism, the waters of both these streams were found to be among the worst polluted in all of Europe. Today, that's been largely fixed, and many people go canoeing and even swim in those waters. I don't know if I drink it, though. Both streams are quite lovely and pass through numerous natural areas and parks, all of which are worth checking out in your free time. The shortest stream is Merianske Potucek in southern Prague 5 down by Malachukla. Its source is a spring, one of the most productive springs in the city limits, in Homolka Park near a cave with a statue of the Virgin Mary that has become a religious pilgrimage place. The spring was renovated in 2017 and now sports a stone gargoyle spouting out the water. The stream flows down the hill through the park, past an old sugar factory, which was a converted mill. Then there's a teeny tiny waterfall before it goes underground for 30 feet, about 9 meters, re-emerging and going past the tiny late Baroque church of the Nativity of the Virgin Mary, built on the ruins of an old Romanesque or early Gothic church from the 12th century, which is today used by Greek-speaking Prague residents in the area who are members of the Czech Orthodox Church. Yes, there is such a thing. The stream then flows under the D4 when it's still Strakonitska, technically the longest street in Prague, and finally empties into the Voltava. Total distance, 182 meters, or about 660 feet. So there you have it, the long and the short of Prague. 
In future episodes, we'll look at other prog superlatives like the biggest and the smallest things to see in town and more. In the meantime, go check out some of the places mentioned in this episode. Rediscover some of your city. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prague Times. If you liked this episode, be sure to like it and share it and tell your friends. Check us out on all of our social media platforms for extra goodies as well. Until next time, this has been Prague Times. <laughs>